Acts chapter 16. So good to see you here. A lot of our folks on vacation and traveling and some sickness going around. We're glad to see you. Brother Josh Belcher, we're glad to have you and your group from Open Door Church with us. Tell your pastor we said hello. Some of you, how many remember Dr. Norris Belcher? He preached for us many, many times here. He's one of my favorite preachers. And we're good friends. We're thankful for the church Open Door. Great influence way there on that, way, on that side of Westminster, Maryland, doing a great work for the Lord. And a miracle story what God did with that church for many, many years and just being pastored for many years by Brother Belcher. And we're glad to have your whole group here. They came out here to be, I think, in the city of Ceres. Was it Ceres? Is that the, do you remember the city? It's outside of Turlock, right? What is it? Denaire. Denaire. There's a, there's a young man named Justin Lehman who went there, started a church about three, four years ago, and just tearing it up, doing a great work for the Lord. He was in a Bible conference I was preaching at recently, and just I got a chance to know him, and he's just doing a fantastic job for the Lord. And it's just glad to hear that there's just some young men that are not going the wrong direction, just staying right by the old paths, amen, and preaching the word and doing the work of God there. So we're glad for that, and we're glad you're here. You guys must be exhausted and tired. Now, how's the weather compared to Maryland? Is it hotter in Maryland, or do you know? No? It's not hotter than Maryland? Oh, good. You love it here, right? You can move your membership here. <laughs> I'll tell you, your dad was okay. <laughs> Acts chapter 16, please. Well, how many of you glad to be in church tonight? Yeah. All right, good. Just want to make sure you're there. Acts 16, verse 16. Excuse me, go down, I'm sorry, verse, verse 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. By the way, that's a good correlation, amen? If you're growing in the faith, you should be growing numerically. But numerical growth is not necessarily a sign that there's spiritual growth. There must be spiritual growth preceding numerical growth. And so verse 6 says, now when they had gone through, throughout Phrygia <clears throat> and the region of Galatia, and notice this phrase, were forbidden of the Holy Ghost. Now for the next few weeks I'll be preaching a lot about the Holy Ghost just because we're kind of in that point of our series on Sunday mornings where uh, Jesus introduces the concept of the comforter. And then in Wednesday nights as I'm, I'll be, I'm preaching through 1 Thessalonians, we're actually going to come to a passage that talks about the quenching of the Spirit. We'll be on that. But I want you to notice this aspect of the Holy Ghost here in verse 6. He says he was, they were forbidden of the Lord to preach the word in Asia. And after they come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. The Holy Spirit said no. Now, that's kind of interesting. The Holy Spirit said no. He said, you're not going to preach the gospel here. And so... We'll say some things about Paul. And the emphasis, of course, is being written by Dr. Luke. He was the writer inspired by the Holy Spirit for the book of Acts. And he's not talking about Paul. He said they. He's talking about the team. We have a mission team with us tonight. But this team being led by the Apostle Paul, the, effort, the reference is to they. And they were come to Mysia, and they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them up. And I want to notice verse 8. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. I want you to circle the word Troas tonight. I'm at a Troas right now. You're going to be at a Troas if you're not at one. Every Christian who sincerely desires to live for God and to do something for Him, you're going to be at a place of a Troas. And I want to preach you just for a short time tonight on a thought, triumph at Troas. Triumph at Troas. Father, tonight, thank you, Lord, for the song service. Thank you, God, for this wonderful day in church, the baptisms and salvations and, Lord, visitors in church. And, Lord, we're thankful, God, just to have our good friends from uh, Open Door Church in Westminster, Maryland, with us. And thank you for that thriving church, a citadel of preaching the gospel message. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice say, that all of them made to save up the money and travel out here and take time off vacations and other things to minister with an, another sister church, God, not very far from here. Thank you for our members here tonight. Thank you, God, that they are here because they want their souls fed. They want to be ministered to by you. And I pray that, Father, you help me tonight beyond my capability to feed the flock of God, which is among us. Help me to take the oversight thereof, Lord, through the Scriptures. I pray you help each of us to take heed to ourselves. God, I praise the scriptures are unlocked and open to us tonight. I pray that you help us to recognize perhaps maybe someone in this room are feeling the same way Paul felt at that moment when he came to Troas. 
Father, we're, the Bible says we're to pray for labors for the harvest. And it might be tonight just because of tonight's message that, Lord, you might raise up some preachers and you might raise up some labors for the harvest. And I pray for that tonight. God, I pray for someone that might get a vision, Lord, like Paul had, Lord, for that area of that whole entire area it's encompassing the Aegean Sea. And we're praying, God, tonight that you would touch the hearts of young men and our young ladies. And we pray that especially young men, you touch your hearts for preaching and planting churches. And, God, we pray tonight that you stir our hearts about our greater area, 1.8. 1.9 million people in the Alameda County area alone. And God, this greater Bay Area with probably close to 20 million people now. And Lord, such many, many needs. And we're praying tonight that we'll focus on vacation, enjoying themselves and things of that nature, which we're glad for. We're praying tonight that you'll help us to have a holy time. Father, prepare our hearts this evening. We pray that you'd cleanse us from all filthiness, the flesh, and superfluity of naughtiness. We pray tonight that Christ will be lifted up. And Lord, we pray for the engrafted word, which is able to save souls to speak to us. Help us tonight to give the earnest heed to the things which we hear, lest at any time we let them slip. We pray tonight that, Lord, we would be moved with a sense of urgency. And tonight, as, Lord, as the preaching gets underway, we pray tonight that we would be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Father, have your way tonight. May your perfect will be done in every heart and life. May there be surrender. May there be no question at all that the Spirit of God is speaking to us. And, Lord, Lord you help us tonight, even for some who perhaps are considering decisions that perhaps may not even be in your will. We pray that tonight that the Spirit would suffer them not. And we pray that this evening that God would just help us to see what is the right way to go. Thank you for what you'll do in our hearts. Thank you for, Lord, taking us down the pathway of holiness for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Travelocity, the travel site, has recommended 10 cities that should be on everyone's bucket list for travel. Now, some of you are world travelers. You're world-class travelers. Some of you enjoy traveling. Some of you like living out of suitcases. I'll just be honest. I don't mind to travel. I just don't like living out of suitcases. Amen, <laughs> you know? And some of you understand what it means to have your suitcases within the weight limit and not carrying prohibited items with you. But some of those cities some of you have been to include Florence, Italy, which was the birthplace of the Renaissance. Istanbul, Turkey of all places, Tokyo, Japan, many of you have been to Tokyo, Paris, France, many of you have been to Paris, Venice, Italy, many of you have been to Venice, Hong Kong, China, many of you have been there, uh, Varanasi, India, where the Ganges River is at, New York City, New York, Jerusalem, Israel, and Sydney, Australia. Now, certainly, that ought to, they're, they're recommended. That should be on everybody's bucket list. And I'm not saying I'm much of a traveler, but I'm thankful for places I've gone. For me, where I'm kind of at my place in life, I like seeing sights. I like seeing places, but I love seeing people. Amen? I just like to go to places where, where there's thriving churches or where churches can be started. I like to survey the scene. I like going places where I have an opportunity to preach, and God can use us, and we can help stir some things up there. And uh, we're thankful for that. Now, tonight, I want you to notice in verses 6 to 8, verse 8 especially, we come to a location that was not on anybody's bucket list, amen, that, when, that didn't show up on anybody's bucket list, was not on, necessarily on Paul's list, in fact, Paul, who, who was, I think, were very methodical as we study his life, I think he was very methodical in terms of how he approached what he did, Paul did not necessarily have Troas on his bucket list, there are places to go, but we see tonight that even though he wasn't there for a vacation or anything else, God was working his life, notice again verses 6 and 7, Paul's intention now, he's on his second missionary tour, you go back to chapter 15 actually, and Paul is with, at that time, he and Barnabas were still uh, colleagues together serving the Lord. And notice in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 36, they were, back at, they were back at Antioch and ministering to the church at Antioch. That was their sending church. They went there to give a report. They went there to be a blessing. I pray the day will come. We'll have many sent off from our church, and there'll be days we can call them back and bring them in. And they came back in to minister. And the Bible says in Acts 15, 36, and some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and, and visit our brethren in every city where he preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And so they did that. Of course, you know, there was a little bit of a fracture there between Paul and Barnabas, the gospel team that established cities there in a great way, in like place of Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, and Derby and Lystra, and places like that. That team broke up, and they went their different ways. And so Paul needed a new partner, and the church recommended that he take Silas with him. And that was a wise choice. He was recommended by, to, them by, unto him, unto him, by, to him by the grace of God. And together, they started going through Syria and Cilicia, and now we see them coming back down to the original area where Paul wanted to go. He went to Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and where, he, where he wanted to go. That was on his heart to go back and strengthen the brethren. And a good sign that you're a church planter that God's using, and a good sign that you're, a, you're, you're someone that has the heart, church in your heart, is you want to go back and see what the spiritual welfare of the people is, and you want to help them out there. And so Paul had that, had that desire in him. And we read in verse 5 that, uh, leading up to verse 5, that uh, God gives him Timothy as a, as a recommended young man to take with him, and uh, 
uh, as we'll see tonight, what all that transpires was a, was a life-changing time for, for Timothy as well. But I like what verse 5 says. It says, the churches were established in faith, and they increased the number daily. So here's what Paul's goal was. He went back to his original churches. He got them established. They started to grow. And every now and then, sometimes churches have to study and uh, realize that maybe they come to a cycle, and all churches go through cycle. We're at a cycle right now where sometimes they may bottom out a little bit, or they may hit a peak, and they need to understand where they're at and understand what's going in the hearts of the people and realize, you know, are there ministries? Do the ministries need to be sharpened? Or do ministries need to be kind of a new, new fire attitude? Or you need to change people out? Do you have the wrong people in the right place? Do the right people in the wrong place need to analyze that and assess that? And so Paul was doing that and he got these churches established he strengthened them he strengthened the pastors he strengthened the workers there the churches were increasing number and Paul felt the sense that the Holy Spirit was moving out of there now he'd done his work and now we want to get back to what God had called him to do God's commission for him when he got saved was that he would be the apostle to the Gentiles and he would take the gospel to multiple numbers of people Paul had people on his heart Paul had churches on his heart Paul wanted to see people saved and so Paul does what he always does well he goes out and wants to start churches but Paul's heart took his heart intention was to go eastward. Now, if Paul had his way, I think he would have gone all the way across Asia. I think he would have sent the, 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 the trail of blaze and starting churches across Asia. I mean, I think he would have gone on ships if he could have and crossed over, over the seas and gone to the Philippine Islands, amen, you know? I think he would have done things like that if it was left to him. And Paul had his way there. If Paul had his way, he would have done that. So Paul starts making his way. And we'll see a map. Do we have that map there, Brother, Brother Kwong? There's a map. If you'll see the map there, do we have that? You'll notice here, Paul... Paul's here in Antioch over there, and he's going to make his way. So he's going to make his way upwards. And notice your, your Bible, if you would, tonight. He's going to make his way up northwards from Antioch there, Antioch of Syria. And uh, the Bible says here that he went throughout Persia, which is up way on the north there. And he went through Persia and the region of Galatia. Now, if you look where Galatia, that Persian Galatia in the same area. And his goal was he's going through there. He was going to continue going eastward. And the Holy Spirit said, no. No. He wanted to go there to preach. And notice the Bible very specifically says the Holy, he was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach to word in Asia. Now, I'm not sure what it was the Holy Spirit did to forbid him. I don't know if he held, felt this uneasiness. I don't know if perhaps the, the travel, uh, the road that was leading there was blocked. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. What really matters is that, that he was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and being obedient at that time. And so Paul was thinking, well, he doesn't want me to go that way, so I'll take a different route. And the Bible says he goes to Mysia. If you see where Bithynia is at, Mysia is just right in between Troas and Bithynia. And he goes around there. And he's, he goes to Mysia, and his goal was there now to get to Bithynia. He thought, well, if it's not Galatia, maybe God wants me to go further to the border there to Bithynia. And again, notice in verse, verse 7 here, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit suffered him not. The Holy Spirit said, no, he will let him go. And so Paul is, you know, and you've got to bear in mind, when Paul realized that, he may have stayed there for an extra day or so, just kind of wanting to know the mind of Christ and what the Lord wanted to do there. And so God said no to Galatia. God said no to Bithynia. God said no to Mysia. And so Paul... Paul now is thinking, well, what do I do? So he's making his way through the coastline because Paul, if you study his journeys, he's on a lot of coastline cities. That's where God wanted him. And wherever Paul went, he went to large, thriving congregate, uh, uh, places of people, great metropolises where there are thriving cultures and people. And, uh, of course, if he had his way, he would always look for a place which had a synagogue of the Jews so he can go there and using his credentials as a Pharisee, as a guest teacher and Pharisee to be at the opportunity to stand up and say a word and through that to just to get the gospel in there. Well, you notice here, he gets over to Troas, and, and something happens in Paul's heart there. Paul, God, God is, God's got him there at Troas, and we just, we just realized that Paul is at a place where he's not, he's really not sure what he's supposed to do. Now, I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there like that. Have you ever been in a place where you're not sure you were supposed to do? You ever been to a place where just, you know, you've been reading your Bible, you've been walking with God, you've been praying, you're seeking godly counsel from preachers, and you think you're just doing everything right, but you're just at this place you know you're not, you just know something is not right in your heart, and you feel like there's just something not right. I know there's, there's just, I, God said no, God said no, God said no, what am I supposed to do? And God has him here at the city of Troas. Troas today is known as Eski Istanbul. It was founded by one of Alexander the Great's generals. It was a city that eventually became a free city under the Roman Empire, which was important. As a free city, it eventually started to mint its own coins. It was a city that the area of Troas did not just incorporate a city, but incorporated an entire large area, an area of about 1,000 acres. At its, at its height, they say that the city of Troas may have had as many as 100,000 people. Notice on our map, it was, a, it was a port city. It was a city where ships would make their destination for shipping and for commerce. 
they, they say later on, after this, this epistle, uh, after uh, uh, the writing here about Troas and things we read in the book of Acts and Second Corinthians about it, they say that the Roman Emperor Trajan, between 98 AD and 117 AD, decided to invest more in the city of Tro, uh, 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 Troas there. And some of the investment he made, he built a large gymnasium there. He built the ancient baths that are there. He built an aqueduct there. I mean, this became a very prominent city in the Roman Empire. It was a place where great investment was made. This is the city that Paul was at. God brought him to that city. God brought him there, and Paul was stuck in that city. Tonight, I want us to see how Troas figures very importantly for Paul. Troas, you might want to mark this down in your notes. Troas was a marker location for Paul. It was a marker location. Now, a marker location is where God will do something that will be a defining moment in your life. A marker location is where God will do, may do a defining moment in your life. It may be a time of spiritual paradigm shift. It will be a place of a life shakeup where your path going forward determines your success or your failure. That's where God had Paul. You better listen to me tonight. If you're searching, you want to be in the perfect will of God and you want to do what's right for God and you want to ascertain where, you better, where you're supposed to be, you better ascertain those marker locations God puts in your life. There's a reason why God says no. There's a reason why God says yes. And God told the Apostle Paul no in this situation. It could very well be that for you and for me, there are going to be several marker locations God's going to place in our life so that you and I are at the exact location place where God wants us to be. Tonight I want you to see some things about this place called Troas. Number one, would you write this down? Number one, I want you to see the travels to Troas. The travels to Troas. We saw in verses 6 and 7 that Paul started his journey he left that area of Iconium and uh, Antioch, Assyria. And notice the Bible says he went throughout Persia. And then he went to Mysia. And then he went to Bithynia. He, had, he was a traveler. Now if you study Paul, and I love watching this, Paul did not have public transportation. Paul did a lot of walking. Paul did a lot of traveling. Paul enjoyed walking. Paul enjoyed traveling. Paul had a firm idea of where God wanted him to go. When it was settled in his heart there in those early days of his, when he first got saved, when it settled in his heart what he was supposed to do, and what God wanted to do with his life, he had determined his heart that he would be a walker. He would walk everywhere. Distance was not an objection or a hindrance to Paul. You know, we complain having to walk across a parking lot. <laughs> you know, that's how we are in today's economy. But Paul, listen, it was nothing to him. If you look about somewhere like Troas, where he went, where this, 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 this route that God took him, he went from Antioch in that area, and he goes up through Cilicia, and he goes up through Galatia, and he goes up through Bithynia, and he comes to Bithynia, and he goes to Troas. I mean, it was nothing unusual to Paul, for Paul, walking was not a waste of time. In fact, as we read through the book of Acts, Paul enjoyed journeying. He loved walking. I think he was in tip-top shape. I think he was fit in many, many ways. He did a lot of walking. He did a lot of running. For him, distance was not an objection. I believe he enjoyed traveling. It very may well be, as we read Acts chapter 16, this may have given seed to Paul later on writing in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now I want you to understand some things about traveling as a Christian. I want you to see some things with me tonight about traveling. What you notice, first of all, the priority in travel. The priority in travel. Listen, we are entrusted with the gospel message. We have been trusted with the priority of the gospel. How many believe tonight we're supposed to get the gospel out to every creature? Amen? We're to get the gospel out. And so notice the first word in travel, the priority the, in the priority of travel. The first word I want us to think about tonight is the word go. Go is an important word. Go is an imperative word. Go is a command. Go is an action word. God calls upon us to go. Listen, when you read the Bible and you see the word go, that's an action word. That means get up and that means to go. There's no definition. You don't have to look up Webster's Dictionary to know what you're supposed to do. Go means go. I mean, don't, don't stay, don't stall, don't delay, get on going. Proverbs 20, excuse me, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Ghost. That's important. Jesus, when he said those words to his apostles, who would be now the nucleus of the New Testament church, when he said that to them on top of that mountain in Matthew chapter 28, these were men who followed him. They went wherever he went. They followed him. They followed him uh, close up. But there came a time now, Jesus was passing the baton to those men. He says, you're not gonna, you've got all that you need, and I'm going to be with you. And he says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, but it's time for you to go. It's time for you to get up. Hey, listen, Christian, it's great to be a new believer, and it's great to get under the word of God, and it's great to be in 
discipleship. And it's great to learn the doctrines of Scripture and to find the books of the Bible. And it's great to have someone pick you up and bring you to church. And it's good to have a mentor. But there comes a time, there comes a day when every one of us must obey the word go. We must get out of our, our comfort zone and get out of our shadow. And we must go and bring the gospel. Let me encourage you today. We had a wonderful tonight. We had a wonderful day out of sowing yesterday. We had a good group of people came. A lot of people made their way in. Thank God for people who perhaps their only day off they have during the week is on a Saturday. But we had a good number of people there. But I want to encourage you. Many of you need to come and you need to go. You need to go sowing. You need to reach souls. Listen, when the moment we stop going, we start slowing. And the moment we start slowing, we start doing nothing. He said, go. Listen to some other verse of scripture. In John 4, 4, Jesus said, he must needs go through Samaria. In Acts 8, 29, the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to the chariot. In Acts 15, 36, which we just read, and some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city. It's an action word. It's a command. It's a priority. Notice Acts 16, 10. Paul, as we read, we'll read, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but after God told him what to do next, the Bible says in verse 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us forward to preach the gospel unto them. We must go with the gospel. We must go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We must go to foreign soil and plant churches. The first word in travel is go. But there's a second word I want you to see in this priority. There's the word go. Would you write this down? There's the word feet. God, thank God we have cars and modes of transportation. But in Paul's day, their mode of transportation were their feet. Listen to this. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, for the gospel of peace. Now, our feet are made for walking. Our feet are made for running. Your feet take you where you need to go. Thank God for feet. Now, you may not like to look at your feet, but thank God for feet, amen, no, regardless, amen. Thank God for feet to get us from here to there. Thank God we can walk. Pray for our good friend, Dr. Don Sis. Dr. Sis fell uh, a few weeks ago and, uh, had, had, and, and just wrote, wrote broke his hip and he's been walking on a, in a walker and I texted him yesterday to see how he was doing and he's lost a lot of weight there just over the last few weeks and I texted him said, Dr. Sis how are you doing and uh, he said well Brother Fong he said uh, you know I was making good progress two weeks ago but somehow I just don't seem to be making any more progress and I'm going to the doctor tomorrow you pray for him that God will give him at 85 86 years of age just a little bit more mobility a little bit more uh, ability to go and you know I, I you know I'm just thankful we got to hear him preach recently where he sat on a chair and he just preached from the chair and listen the power of God was all over as he preached from a chair, but I certainly know Dr. Sis, he's a man that's always on the go. He wants to walk. He wants to keep going. And I want to tell you tonight, our feet, part of, part of what God has given to us is part of our spiritual equipment that we need in spiritual battle is our feet. Did you know something tonight as we study our spiritual armor? God wants us to be, to be successful against the devil and against the principalities and powers that fight against us. He's given us truth. He's given us righteousness. He's given us salvation, which is our helmet. He's given us the shield of faith. He's given us the word of God, the sword of spirit, but he's also told us that we need to concentrate on our feet. We need to bind up our feet with gospel shoes. We need to put on our gospel shoes. Listen, the reason why some fail in temptation and the reason why some just, they give up very easily. They're not putting on, binding their feet with the gospel of peace. You need to bind your feet with the gospel of peace. You need to put those gospel shoes on. You need to go out and burn up some leather and get the, get the word of God out to people. Notice Romans 10, 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. We must put on our gospel shoes for our spiritual defense. Putting your gospel shoes means it'll keep you from getting becoming too idle and, and wasting time. Putting your gospel shoes keeps your heart tender for souls. It reminds you there's a community of people that are dying and going to hell. I'm just saying today, we see the priority in travel. But notice something else tonight. And I want you to go with me to the, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. We see the priority in travel, but I want you to catch this. We're getting somewhere tonight. Go with me to Proverbs 16. And I want you to see, secondly, as we look at the travels, I want you to see the providence in our travels. Now, when you look at Proverbs 16, verses 1 to 9 or so, those verses describe to us and teach us about the providence of God. Now, providence refers to God's control in all manners of life. For instance, can I, can I show you something? Look at verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That's providence. We go down a little bit further, and it says in verse 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Go down a little bit further. Notice verse 9. This is what my thought is I want to give you. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directed his steps. That's what's happening with Paul right now. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directed his steps. Listen, providence is important in our travels. Providence is how God works in our heart. We may be determined to go somewhere, 
somewhere, but God may have other plans. Now look, in our travels, God says go, and we must go. In our travels, God might say wait, and we must wait. In our travels, God may say stay, and we must stay. But listen, in our travels, when God says no, we must stop. We must understand and ask ourselves the question, what is God saying to us? Back in Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit said no to Paul. He was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach. The Spirit suffered them not. Now sometimes God puts a, puts a wall up, and God makes very clear to us, you're not to go that way. You're not to go there. You're not to go down that road. You're not to do that. And I think there are many times where God just puts a setback in our face more than once so that we know it's not we're not supposed to do that and sometimes if we could be like the apostle paul who i believe was very strong will and i believe he had a very strong leadership capacity that doesn't mean he was he was disobedient to god i just think he was very strong-willed he was very determined he had great leadership capacity in him and he felt like he wanted to go but the holy spirit made very clear to him in acts chapter 16 verse 8 he said no you're not going anywhere you need to stay here at troas because i have a work to do in your heart there and sometimes god tells us no god wants to stay now why well sometimes god closes doors for our protection you might think it's okay for you to go god does that for your protection i've witnessed in my life just many times where god said no he did that for our protection we had opportunity many years ago in a foreign country to go preach the gospel and these people wanted to take us somewhere and, it, and we just went on this roundabout thing for several hours god said no that wasn't where we're supposed to be and i remember just being stuck on the tarmac there and i turned to my wife and i said you know you're going to think i'm crazy and i'm going to tell the church leaders that are with us you may think i'm crazy but just i just feel like right now god doesn't want us to go i don't believe we're going to get off i don't think we're going to make it to that city and she said well you sure about that I'm sure about that. We went around about, round about, round about, and finally we got to one destination. It wasn't where we needed to be. And we were stuck at another airport. And I told one of the church leaders, I said, I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't want us to go there. We're not going to, we're not going to go. And they said, well, that, that's, that couldn't be. We always get there. And I said, well, we're not going to get there. And we went round about, round about, round about. And God said, no. I've had that happen other times where I thought that's what God wanted us to do. And God said, no. God told the apostle Paul, no. Sometimes God does things like that for protection. Hey, listen to this. God closes doors because he might have someone else he wants to send there that will do a better job than you and me. And that's okay too, amen? Because it's all about his message, it's all about him. If God has somebody better prepared, somebody that's more equipped, someone that he's given a different skill set to get it done, hey, we should say glory to God and let him go, amen? If God tells you and me no, that's a good thing because he may have someone else ready. It may be God wants to do something further to get that area a little bit softer so there can be great fruit. God closes doors because maybe there's somewhere else we're supposed to be for God. And that's what God was doing for Paul. There was somewhere else God wanted to be that would be more fruitful, that would have more lasting results. Paul couldn't see all then unfold at that time, but God had a place for him. God had a place that Paul wanted to go. He had done a lot of walking. He spent several days walking through that whole area there, but God said no to him. Listen, there are the travels to Troas, but notice number two. Notice number two. Paul now is at Troas, and I want you to see the second thing. Please don't miss this part. There's the trusting at Troas. There's the trusting at Troas. Paul had his heart to go through Galatia and then to Asia. Paul was a man filled with the Spirit. Paul was a man who was very intense and very strong willed, as I said. And Paul now is in this place where God closed two doors for him. God made it very clear. He suffered him not. God said, no, you're not to go there. And Paul, who's very strong willed, and Paul had a great heart for people, and Paul wanted to see souls saved, and Paul who wanted to start churches. Paul is at this place of choice where God wanted him to be. You see, Paul wanted his way. When a man's heart to his way it's the Lord who directs his steps and God had to redirect Paul God had to do with Paul what God does with you and me God brought Paul to the place where he needed to do some fine-tuning and some work you know sometimes your car makes some bad noises amen sometimes your car or something mechanical makes some bad noises and you've got to call somebody in who's got expertise with those things to fix it and you bring those people in and they fine-tune it and they fix it and they change a part here and they change a part there and sometimes they've got to put something new in and they've got to change it out but when it's all fixed it's ready to go. Listen, Paul was at a place where God needed to do some work on him. God was there at this place of choice because God wanted to increase his faith. Paul needed more faith. Paul needed to learn to trust in God. Now let me tell you something tonight. We're sitting comfortable here in America. We're sitting on the cusp of 243 years as a nation celebrating its independence. But I want to tell you tonight, we are too comfortable. We need to get a little stirring in our heart. We need some fire in our bones. We need to get out and do something for God. And listen, Paul was at a place where he was a little bit, he was just realizing he wanted to do his thing. And God said, no, I, I need you to do some things here. And he says, I, I, I want to work in your heart. And he brought Paul to the place where he said, Paul, you need to have more faith and learn to trust me. And listen, when we get so comfortable and we're so used to doing everything mechanically, it's very easy to make ourselves believe we're fat, we have faith and trust in God when we have no needs. 
But Paul was at a place where he had a need. He was stuck at a location called Troyes on the coastline. There was no church there at that time. There was, very, there was nobody he knew there except for his gospel team. He had no family there. He had no friends there. He had no associates there. He had no network there. He had no connection there. They didn't have social media. Paul is at the place where God said, Paul, you need to be at this place of learning how to have faith and trust him. Now listen to me tonight. God's going to put all of us at this place where we're going to come. We're going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel and we're not sure what we're supposed to do and we're going to have that lack of clarity in our mind. But thank God when he brings us to that choice, we get the opportunity learning how to trust in God all over again. God brought him to the place of teaching him how to trust in him. God brought him to the place of learning how to pray even harder to get his heart and his, and his, and his vision clear. God brought him to the place where the only voice he would hear would be God's voice. Listen, when you're with the team sometimes, everybody's got a voice and everybody's a talking head and everybody wants to give their two cents and give their opinion and Paul had been hearing all these things and he came there to Troas and he, and he got through the daytime and as we know from verse 9 he got there in the night and there at the night Paul was all by himself Paul had to get alone with just him and God and God worked in his life and God was had got him got him at the place where Troas he had to learn to trust him can I give you some thoughts about trusting God tonight can I give you some thoughts to refresh your memory revive our hearts remind us today why it's so important that we trust in God Listen to what Job said in Job 13, 15. Job said this, in the midst of his trials, in the midst of where, where his health was taken away and his heirs were taken away and his hordes, all, the, all the, 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 the hordes of things that he had were taken away and his, and his cattle was taken away and his riches were taken away and his children were slain. He got to this place where even his wife rejected him. And this was Paul's statement as he was being criticized by his best friends. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Hey, do you have a great faith enough in God to say, God, if it's even your will that you want to kill me, right now. I still will trust in God. He said in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Listen to the words of David during the time when he was trying to evade Saul. The Bible says in Psalms 9, 10, and they that know thy name, they will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. That was written by a man who just like, just like Paul had gotten to the end of his rope and got to the end of his place. He's wondering, God, what am I supposed to do? Listen, we're out of options. We're out of ideas. We're not sure what to do. We're depleted in our source of strength. We're at a place of choice where we need to trust in God and that's what God wanted to do with Paul notice Psalms 28 7 so David said this again during times when he was running and trying to evade being hurt and killed. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Notice this, my heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices and with my song will I praise thee. Notice in Psalm 31, and that's a good psalm to read tonight for your devotion. In Psalm 31, that's a trusting psalm. We find David pouring his heart out and trust to God. Notice in verse 1, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Notice in Psalm 31, 6, I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. Everybody was telling him, you need to do this, you need to do that, and they were lying vanities. He said, listen, I've just learned, I better trust in God, verse 14. But I trust in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. Hey, listen, this is our typical way we trust God. We, we get a grid out, and we do a T count. We make these grids, and we get some kind of a sales spreadsheet, and we make up the pros and the cons, and we ask, we get, we ask Pastor Fong, what does Pastor Fong think about this? And we go over here, and we ask Brother So-and-so, what do you think about this? And we ask Sister So-and-so, we think about this? And we type, we find some site. We can type in our question. We hear from everybody. Listen, we're asking everybody for counsel, except we forgot to ask God, what does God want us to do? Amen? We need to ask God, what does God want me to do? We get to Psalms 37. Notice here later on, verse 14. He said in Psalms 31, But I trust in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. He said in verse 19, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which I was laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Hey, listen, God brings us to a Troas so we can learn how to trust him. Psalms 37, 5, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. Psalms 56, 3, when I am afraid. By the way, are you afraid of something tonight? What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And by the way, where we need to go from that is to get over there to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, where it says, I will trust in him and not be afraid. Psalm 71, 1, he said, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. He says, let me never be put to confusion. Familiar passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not into thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he should direct thy path. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 7, a time where Jeremiah's heart was so heavy because the message he kept preaching and preaching, nobody was listening. He said, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. I like Nahum 1, 7. It starts off in Nahum talking about God is a jealous God and how the decline of the nation because they'd gone to idolatry. But he said this, the Lord is good. By the way, the Lord is still good. Amen. 
The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Here is Paul, no family, no friends, running out of money, running out of food, not sure what the options are, taking full responsibility of the whole gospel team that's with him, feeling responsibility for Timothy. He told Timothy's mother and grandmother, you could trust Timothy with me, and he's feeling the pressure of that. Twice the Spirit of God said no. I'm, I'm, I'm very sure he was discouraged. I'm very sure he was doubting himself. I'm very sure he's trying to wonder, searching his heart. God, why do you have me here? What do you want me to do? And here's what I believe as we get into between verses 8 and 9, Paul is having quiet time with him and God. Between verses 8 and 9, Paul is at the place where he's on his face and he's on his knees and he's saying, God, I've got to trust you. I, I realize that perhaps I've tried to do it my way and I need to do it your way and I've tried to, I need to trust in you even more and I need to have faith in you, God, what you want me to do there. And he's spending time in prayer wanting to know, God, what, what do you want me to do? And listen, he was at this Troas location. He wondered tonight, has God brought you to a Troas location? Has God brought us to a place where we need to learn more faith? Has God brought us to a place where we need to pray more? Has God brought us to a place to break us and to humble us? Has God brought us to a place to get a fresh vision for our life? Has God brought us to a Troas so all we'll do is trust in him? We see the travels at Troas and the trusting Troas, but I like the next part. Would you notice the transformation at Troas? I'll tell you, between verses 8 and 9, Paul was not twiddling his thumbs. Paul was not sending emails to his favorite preacher friends. Paul was praying and asking God, God, what do you want me to do? When God brings us to a Troy as a place of trusting as we trust in him, as we let go of our fears and we let go of our plans and we let go of all of our ideas and realize it's not our strategy, it's his strategy. There comes a time where God works and there's transformation that God does. And I want you to notice three major transformations that God does in Paul's life right there at Troas. And please mark this down. If you and I as a church want to see God do something like this in the Bay Area, we need this kind of transformation. And notice there was a transformation, first of all, in his outlook. Notice verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now, he didn't have a vision because he ate, he drank too many milkshakes. And he didn't have a vision because he went to In-N-Out Burger too late at night, amen. He didn't have a vision where his mind's all clouded up because he spent too much time at Round Table Pizza. No, the vision he had was because he was on his face before God and crying out to the Lord and saying, God, I place my trust in you. What do you want me to do? I've got all these, I've had these doors closed and I'm not sure where to go and what to do. And there at that moment of time, it was no longer about Paul's strategy. It was no longer about Paul's wisdom. It was no longer about Paul what, what he understood about the demographics it was all about what God wanted to do. When the Bible says God there gave him a vision, God changes outlook. God, notice verse 9, and then this vision there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. God made very clear. There was a place he was supposed to go, but it wasn't Bithynia, and it wasn't Mysia, and it wasn't Galatia, and it wasn't Troas at that moment. Where God wanted him was over in that area of Macedonia. That was nowhere on his radar screen. There was there was no, he didn't have any preconceived notion about that. In fact, as far as whatever we know about Paul, Paul had never been into the area of Macedonia. Now, he knew his geography and he knew the areas, but he had never considered that. And notice the Bible says in verse 9, there stood a man in Macedonia. There was something about the man's fa facial features. There was something about the man's tone of voice. There was something about that man, his urgency. He was pleading with him. He prayed him. He's saying, come over into Macedonia. Heard the plea of the man, come over to Macedonia and help us. Listen, Paul at that moment had a transformation of his outlook. God enlarged his vision. God enlarged his capability. I believe as we study some of the great prayers of the Bible, what God did with some of those men, I believe they had a similar transformation of their outlook. I think about Jabez, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Jabez was a man born out of sorrow, and he got on his face one day as a grown man and he realized that everybody rejected him. Can you imagine Jabez, if he went to play on the basketball court, as they were choosing people out, they'd say, oh, there's Jabez. His name meant sorrow. Nobody wanted anybody named sorrow on their team because they'd feel like if we had someone named sorrow on our team, we might lose. His very name meant he was a loser. He was a loser from birth. We don't know what happened. We don't know if his father died. We don't know if his mother died. We don't know if his mother had a hard travail. We don't know that. We just know his mother named him sorrow. And listen, all that, that man, he was scarred with the idea that his name was 
sorrow. The day came, he got tired of being a loser. He got tired of having his vision clouded. He got tired of not being productive and doing anything for God. And one day, just like Paul, that man found himself in a place secluded where he got alone with God. And he prayed this prayer, one of the great prayers of the Bible. He said, oh God, that I pray that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thy hand may be upon me that I may not see evil. And I like what the Bible concludes about it. And the Bible says, and the Lord granted him that which he requested. He prayed for God to enlarge his borders. He prayed for God to bless him. He prayed for God to use him. And all we know from there on is God answered that man's prayer. And I'm not sure what he influenced and what he did, but he must have done something great because God blessed it. And you notice Paul here, his vision, his outlook is clarified. His vision, his outlook is enlarged. Notice some things here. He saw Jesus as Jesus sees cities. Let me tell you something. I don't care how burdened you think you are and how great you see things. You're not, you've not arrived until you see a city like Jesus Christ sees a city. You can weep over that city every time you look at it. He saw cities as Jesus saw them. He saw people needing the Savior. He saw cities that needed churches. He saw cities and people that were unevangelized. He couldn't go anywhere without realizing that he'd gone there to Galatia. He'd gone there to Bithynia. He'd gone there to Mysia. And he realized the reason why the Spirit suffered him not, he had lost that, that feeling, that desire, that passion. for. Them. And there at Troas, God broke his heart through this vision once again. Would you notice some things about Paul? His outlook has changed from this point forward. Go with me to Acts chapter 17, in which you notice verse 16. Paul now is down there at Athens. And the Bible says, now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred. And notice this phrase, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Listen, his outlook was changed. He used to, he, every city went to idolatry. Every city he had went to had a marketplace filled where they sell their idols and things like that. Go to the city of San Francisco. Go to Chinatown. You'll see they sell their idols down there. You go down the city of Oakland, down to Chinatown. You'll see they sell their idols down there. Hey, listen, you go to any place. You see they sell their idols all over the place. Paul got this place. He's waiting for Silas. And he's waiting for Timothy to show up. And listen, he couldn't wait anymore because the Bible says the spirit was stirred in sight of him when he saw a city holy given to idolatry. Listen, his outlook was transformed. Go with me a little bit further down to Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, as we get to verse 9, Paul has now started another church. But every church he'd been to on the second tour, and even previous churches, he had been to Philippi. He wasn't there very long. He went to Thessalonica. He wasn't there very long. He went to Berea. He wasn't there very long. He went, to, he went there down to Athens, and he wasn't there very long. And now he's at Corinth. Now there's a pattern that's going on with Paul that he's just kind of accepted. Everywhere he went, there was opposition. Everywhere he went, as the churches got started, the devil upped his, upped his, his opposition to him. And Paul realized, Pete, the Jews are following me. They're against me. They criticize me. They're tearing me apart. They're just, they're saying disparaging things about me. And Paul had just resigned his heart. Now he's at Corinth. And here again, he's starting to see fruit. He's starting to see a new church unfold. He's seeing God save people. I mean, look at the previous verses. The Bible says in verse 8 of uh, Acts 18, and Christmas, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. I mean, I don't know what all his house means, but that's got to be at least three or four people got saved there. And he says, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. I mean, a church is getting started there and it's getting excited. And Paul's all fired up. But that night, as he was about to put his head on the pillow. He couldn't get to sleep. He was restless. And that night he got up and he started realizing, God, is, could it be that, Lord, that my, my ministry here is going to be curtailed here too? Is it possible, God, that you don't want me to go, that there's no, nothing more I'm going to have here? Could it be it's going to, I'll, have the same, I'll have the same opposition I had in Philippi, the same opposition I had in Berea, the same opposition I had in Thessalonica, the same opposition I had in Athens? Could it be, Lord, that you're going to move me somewhere else? And in his heart of hearts, I think Paul had remembered that vision God gave him there at Philippi, there at Troas. And he got on his knees and started praying and asking God once again. And what you notice again, God transformed his outlook once again. Notice verse 9, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall send on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in that city. Oh, Paul needed that. Paul needed to hear that he could still go on and preach, and he, Paul needed to hear, don't be afraid, and Paul needed to hear to keep on preaching, and Paul needed to be reminded there are much people still in that city. God wanted to stay there. Hey, listen, Paul, as he learned how to trust God, he was transformed in his outlook. Hey, listen, tonight, let's pray, God, open thou my eyes, I may behold wondrous things. Let's get our outlook transformed for God. Notice, secondly, not only was his outlook transformed. Notice his outreach was transformed. Go back to chapter 16. Paul used creative strategies. He didn't let certain things block his ability to serve God. Paul pressed harder. Paul worked harder. 
Notice in chapter 16, the Bible says there uh, that, that in verse, verse 12, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city, that part of Macedonia colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath we went out on the city to, uh, of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. Now Paul had done his survey of the city. We're not told there was a, there was a synagogue with the Jews there in Philippi, and there may have been one, but we're not told there was one. I don't think there was one. And Paul, his strategy would have been to go to the synagogue of the Jews. There wasn't one. So he started thinking about, okay, where am I going to get traction? Where can I get an audience? I don't know anybody down here at Philippi. It's just me and Luke and Timothy and Silas, just us. How are we going to make some traction? He found out there was a prayer meeting down by the riverside, okay? He said, there's some believers down there. There's some people that must have a belief in God. He went down to that prayer meeting. Notice what happens here. The Bible says, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. You know what he did? He did like every Christian that's trying to see souls safe. He went to where the people were. Listen, he got his, he got his outreach transformed. He went there, and so what? It was a bunch of women that was there, and he wanted to deal with men. He said, you know it's not beneath my pride and beneath my dignity. I can, I can deal with them. And the Bible gave him his first convert there. Notice it says in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple and of the city of Thyatira. Now he didn't know all that in the beginning, but he found that out later on. She was, she was a woman who worshiped God. The Bible says she heard us whose heart the Lord opened that she tended to the things which were spoken of Paul. And listen, as we find Paul working through things, his outreach is transformed. He's realizing he's got to be flexible. He's realizing he's just got to be where God wants him to be. Notice chapter 17. The Bible says as he got there to Thessalonica, verse 2, it tells us something very interesting about his mannerisms and how he reached people. Because now he's starting to reach the intellectual crowd. He's starting to reach the group that had more questions and were more, more argumentative and people that were taking a little bit more time and you had to have a little more patience. And listen, his outreach is being transformed. And notice verse 2. I love what it says here in Acts 17. And verse 2 says, And Paul, as his manner was, he went into, unto them, and for three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto is Christ. You know what he did there? He's showing us that you need to be resilient. He's showing us you need to be steadfast. He's showing us that the message doesn't change, and you shouldn't let the, that the faces of the people change how you approach the message. He just realized he needed to go there. He needed to patiently declare the Word of God, and the Scriptures tell us he reasoned with them, and for three consecutive Sabbath days, he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. May I say to you today, and so many, don't stop using the Bible. Keep using the Word of God. Keep showing people the Scriptures. He reasoned them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging. He opened Christ up. He made it clear, and he alleged. He made it very clear to them. He was doing an apologetic approach of preaching Jesus Christ to these men who needed to hear these hardened Jews that were in the synagogue. He said that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead. Now, I'm thankful tonight that, listen, listen, tell people that Jesus loves them, and tell people that, you know, if they don't get saved, then go to hell. But make sure you, you center everything on Jesus Christ. Amen? Make sure your preaching centers on Christ, that Christ suffered and rose again from the dead. And he said, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto is Christ, his outreach was changed. And we find this there. He had a different strategy in Berea. He had a different approach there in, in Athens. He had to do a different approach in Corinth. In fact, Corinth was the hardest of all those cities. He was there for a long period of time. And as he was there, the Bible says that when, his, this, when Silas and Timothy came in, in Acts 18.5, he was pressed in the spirit. His outreach was transformed. Listen, maybe the basic transformation we need to have is that the love of Christ constrains us. Maybe the basic transformation we need to have is that we see these people as we go back and back and back, that we get pressed in the spirit like Paul was and have a sense of urgency and love their souls and help them to know that God loves them and we need to work a little bit harder. God gave him a Troas experience to transform his outlook and God gave him a, a Troas experience to transform his outreach. But notice, God gave him that Troas experience to transform his outcome. How many of you want to see people saved? How many of you want to see people saved? I mean, you rejoice when people get saved. Can I tell you tonight? I think the angels of heaven rejoice a little bit more than we do about one sinner that repents out of 99. You don't get happy when people get saved if something wrong with your heart. Amen. Amen. We're not in competition to each other. We're in competition from the with the devil. We're trying to keep the devil from taking another soul with him. Paul got churches. You notice the second missionary journey. He has churches established in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens, Corinth, Corinth, and later on in Ephesus. And the outcome is we read Acts 16. Would you notice this? In Acts 16, we find a woman by the name of Lydia getting saved. And of all things, church planters, one of the basic concerns about church planters is finding a meeting place. 
find a place where they can meet and start church. And listen, God took care of the need. When Paul got that transformation, God not only gave him his first convert, God gave him the place for the local New Testament church, amen? Lydia said, if you judge me faithful, you can meet in my house. Well, praise the Lord for that. And she had a very well-kept house. I don't know if that was one of many homes she had when she constrained them to stay there. And then later on, God, we read in chapter, chapter 16, verse 16, God gave him his second convert. It was a girl that was being manipulated and controlled by soothsayers. And, and uh, Paul, the Bible says in verse 18, Paul was grieved in the spirit, and he turned to the spirit, and, and he expelled the spirit out, out of that, that young lady. And now he had a youth ministry. I mean, I, I, I love what a singer. He's got a ladies' ministry, and he's got a church, and he's got a teen ministry. Granted, it was a demon-possessed girl, but still, that's okay. That'll count, amen, you know? and he got a girl in there and then later on he gets, he gets falsely accused and they beat the fire out of Paul and stick him in stocks and, and then they throw him into jail and he's bruised and battered and beaten and he's hurting and he's been shamed and embarrassed and there of all places he's in a jail and I don't know about you but if I was stuck in something like that I'm not sure I'd be as happy as Apostle Paul but Paul got a transformation remember in his outlook and Paul had a transformation in his outreach notice Paul's going to have a transformation in his outcome now Paul, couldn't have, Paul could not have orchestrated all this but that night when midnight came he kind of looked at Silas and Silas looked at him and he says you know what I know people we're supposed to be sleeping now, but I just feel like I can't sleep, and we're going to have a prayer meeting and, and song service, amen? They decided to have a Baptist church there right there at midnight, amen? A Baptist church service right there in jail. Thank God for that, and God gave them a jail ministry right there, and they started praising God and singing songs, and they were praying, and God sent a great earthquake. Hey, you'd be surprised at midnight if you prayed a little bit long enough, some earthquakes God might send, amen? God shook some things up there, and God opened the prison doors, and we know the end of the story, that Philippian jailer, God said, hey, did you notice something? When Paul gets to Philippians 1.1, he says he writes to the saints, which are at Philippi. Those three people were part of those saints. And not only those three, a man got saved down there by the name of Epaphroditus. I believe Epaphroditus was a pastor there at one time. He was a pastor there. And we read about two ladies, Euodius and Syntyche, who were members of that church and other people down there. And listen, God gave the nucleus of his church. The outcome was transformed because Paul got transformed in his outlook and he got transformed in his outreach. Notice something else. We get to chapter 17 and Paul goes down to Thessalonica. You talk about a transformation of the outcome. Listen, God was doing some great things in spite of persecution things. And it's Acts 17, 4 says, some of them believe and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, Gentiles, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. And listen, this was the commentary, the opinion of those pagans down there at Thessalonica, those unbelievers. They described Paul and his entourage and the new, the new emerging Thessalonian church. He said, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. We get down there to a hardened place called Athens. Paul preached one of his hardest sermons there in Acts chapter 17. The Bible describes the reaction to Paul in Acts 17, 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Another said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Now, if that was like you and me, we'd probably feel probably a little bit hurt. So the Bible says in verse 32, so Paul departed from under. He just saw that he was sensitive to realizing God said, okay, you've done all you can. Here's time for you to move on, son. But notice verse 34, how be it? Certain men clave unto him and believe. Among them was which Dionysius, the Aripagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I mean, listen, his outcome was transformed. You get to Acts chapter 18, and the Bible says in verse 6, And when they had opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. Those Jews wouldn't hear him. He started preaching to the Gentiles. So he got out of the synagogue, set up shop right next door to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And we saw, saw earlier, Christmas got saved. A great number of the Corinthians got saved. And then later on, he goes down in Acts chapter 19. He goes there to Ephesus. And God's working through that situation. And the Bible tells us there that during that time, over two years period of time, because of what Paul was doing there in Ephesus, the gospel spread through all of Asia. And that means Asia Minor, all of Turkey. And as we get to Revelations 2 and 3, I believe those seven churches we have there, they were founded during that time as Paul was preaching there what kind of outcome did he have he saw churches started he saw people saved he saw fruit in the church hey listen to that god gave him additional labors for the harvest god raised the spiritual leaders he was replicating he said would you listen to this during those second missionary tour god gave him gave him labors for the harvest like epaphroditus 
He had the good fortune of meeting a man by the name of Epaphras. He had nothing to do with Epaphras' life, but Epaphras came and ministered to him from the city of Colossae. God gave him a man by the name of Apollos. God gave him a wonderful couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. God gave him a man at Thessalonica by the name of Aristarchus. God gave him a Timothy that he nurtured and raised, and Timothy would go on to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. God gave him a Titus. God gave him a Philemon. God gave him a Tychicus, and God gave him many more. And even when he was straight with God, there was a man by the name of Demas that he gave him. God gave him a Philemon. I mean, you read the list of all the names God gave him. These were friends of the ministry, people that went with him into the battlefront, people that served God with him. I'm just saying today, he got transformed. Hey, listen, when we get to Troas, God does it so we can learn to trust him. But as we learn to trust him, God does a transformation. And here we see Paul is transformed in his outlook and his outreach and his outcome. Now, I wonder tonight, now listen to me this evening, how many of us like to see more fruit in our results? Don't buy the hyper-Calvinist lie. Well, God, it must not be God's will for me to lead something to Christ. The problem is not with God. The problem's with you. If you're not leading souls to Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not trying. You're not begging God. Listen, we have the promise in Psalms 126, 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bring his sheaves with him. The Bible tells in John 15, 16, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, nor danger that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. It's God's will that we bear fruit. A large number of us tonight need a transformation or outreach in order to see transformation or outcome. Your neighbors won't get saved if you get, don't get transformed. Your family members won't get saved unless you get transformed in your outcome. We close tonight. I want you to see one last thing. We see the travels for Troas and the trusting in Troas. We see the transformation. But you notice the triumph at Troas. Go back to chapter 16. And verse 8 says, They, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. Troas, Paul would look back at Troas, and he got a clear vision. And he looked back at Troas, and there he got more faith. And there at Troas, he could point, it was because of that place he had a marker location where he had a spiritual paradigm shift, a defining moment. And I must I have to believe, as I'm going to finalize this point here, that Paul thought back there wouldn't have been a Timothy as a pastor if it wasn't for Troas. And, and there wouldn't have been an Aristarchus that would have gone me on these journeys if there hadn't been a Troas. And I have to think, there wouldn't have been a church house started there that, that, that Lydia would have given her house for the church meeting if there hadn't been a Troas. And there wouldn't have been an established work there in Thessalonica. And we get the books of First and Second Thessalonians that he wrote had it not been for Troas. And we get the books written to the Corinthian believers of First and Second Corinthians had there not been a Troas. And we wouldn't have had, got a book written to the Ephesian believers had there not been a Troas. And Paul looked back many years later and said, thank God for that. But the work of Troas was not done. The work of Troas, God led him there. He had a defining moment at Troas, but God put back on his heart. Troas was still a place as he thought about the defining moment. Troas, there needed to be another triumph at Troas. And there at Troas, Troas, God would plant a New Testament, independent, fundamental Baptist church right there in Troas. Look at me in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And Paul told the Corinthian believers... Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Paul couldn't get out of his hard mind. God, you led me to Troas. I'm going to go back there. We don't have an epistle about Troas. We just know that God wanted to put on his heart to go back there and to get something started. And he had a liberty. God opened a door for him to go back there in his travels to Troas. And there, Paul started preaching gospel and the church established. And what about that church? We'll go to Acts chapter 20. We see something about that church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 6, we're almost done. It says, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we both seven days. Now notice verse seven. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together. Hey, that's a blessing. A church got started there. Amen. What a great triumph. Paul planted the gospel seed. 
And the soil of the hearts bore forth 25, 1500 fold fruit. And God got a church started there. And there were disciples being made. And it doesn't matter for our purposes at this moment in time who worked with them and who discipled them and got them growing. All we know is that there was a, there was a thriving church there. And Paul had in his mind, as he was on this journey in Acts chapter 20, because his goal was to meet up with the elders at Ephesus. His goal there was to stop off at Troas because he wanted to get refreshed here. But notice what it says here. He gets here to Troas, and it says he would abode there for seven days. And the first day of the week, which was the Lord's Day on Sunday, the Bible says, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech until midnight. Now, Paul had some very sentimental feelings, and he had a very, a very deep passion in his heart for that city and that location. And if he could be a pastor once again, they would stay somewhere. It might have been that choice, he would have stayed there. And the, the disciples said, Paul, it's because of you, you came and preached the gospel, and sowed that gospel seed. A church started, and a church got planted, and a church was growing, and their disciples here and they're serving God. They said, Paul, you're going to be here seven days. On Sunday, would you preach the gospel to us? On Sunday, would you preach to us? And so they had their Sunday service. And notice here in verse 7, it says there that on that first, on that Sunday evening, that they, they broke bread as they had a meal together, their agape love feast. The Bible says, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. I love what it says there. Paul preached as if it was the very last message he'd ever preach. Paul preached because he had a fondness of his heart. He pointed to that place and maybe even that same area, that jurisdiction where he was at, where God put on his heart that he needed to wait and get that vision from God. He remembered that vision. He remembered it transformed him there. He learned. He remembered that he learned how to trust God. He remembered there while he's preaching. And listen, he may have poured his heart out and told him the very same things I'm telling you right now. He may have told him, let me tell you about what God did at Philippi. And let me tell you what God did here at Troas and why this church got started. And let me tell you here how God clarified my vision and God taught me how to have more faith and God taught me how to pray harder and God worked on my heart and God taught me more humility and God broke my heart a little bit more and God showed me I needed to be more transparent. And God showed me I needed to be more honest. And God showed me I was nothing. And God showed me that I have no speaking ability without his ability. And God showed him that he was nobody without God. And by the way, tonight, you and I are nobody without God. He's preaching away, and the Bible says he's just pouring out his heart to them. And the Bible says he preached in the midnight. Now, aren't you glad tonight I'm almost done, Amen. Preach ready to depart on the morrow. He said, I'm going to give you a message because I may never come back here again. You stay in the ministry because you preach like Paul. You preach as if you're ready to depart tomorrow. The Bible says this church, which is at least two stories, maybe three stories, they had a lot of lights lit in the upper chamber. It was hot. It was stuffy. They were used to shorter services. This old crusty Baptist preacher came in and kept on preaching. Amen. We're told the focus is on a young man by the name of Eutychus. I see myself in Eutychus. When it gets warm and stuffy, I've got to find an outlet somewhere. Amen. I see myself sitting on a ledge on a window to get some air. But it's midnight, man. It's past the boy's bedtime. Amen. I mean, he was a good boy. He went to bed early. It's midnight. Paul's still long preaching. Paul's preaching. Would you notice what happens there? And they're sat in a window. By the way, do you know where people are sitting tonight? By the way, where are you sitting tonight? And he sat in a window, a certain man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft, was taken up dead. And this young man didn't intend to mean to do that, but he was so tired and he was so weary, he fell asleep. He sat in the window and he fell out of church. Let me tell you tonight, most, a lot of people fall out of church because they listen, because, because the fact that the preaching is good, but they just get used to the preaching and they just fall into a deep sleep. Don't fall asleep on the preaching. You never know. God may just have one word, one sentence he wants you to hear. This boy was listening to the preaching, and, uh, and it was going on. He got into a deep sleep, and he fell out of the window, and he fell out of the church. The Bible says from the third law. You can imagine as that body hit the ground with a thud, possibly cracking of bones and broken neck. You can imagine how that just changed the whole scope of the church service at that moment of time. And some believers who probably wanted to go home say, okay, church over. And others were just kind of shocked, like, what are we going to do? And isn't it amazing what Paul's talking about, his transformation? Paul stops what he does. 
And would you notice what, what, what he does here? He, he stops what he does. And the Bible says, verse 10, Paul went down and he fell on him. And he embraced him. He said, trouble not yourselves, for his life is with him. It's an amazing thing. Paul kept his focus still on the people that he was preaching to. You're not a great preacher because you can preach. You're a great preacher because you love the people, and the people know you love them through the preaching. Paul stopped what he did. He went down. Nobody else did, by the way. He embraced that man. He got his life back again. You know what's good about church? I love seeing souls saved, but I like seeing God's people revived too, amen? I, I like to see someone get the spark back. I like to see somebody who's been absent from soul winning get back to soul winning. I like to see someone who hasn't been praying for a long time get back to praying. I like to see somebody who's had a bad spirit, they get a good spirit once again. I like to see somebody who had the joy of the Lord at one time and they lost it because the devil stole their joy. They get the joy of the Lord back once again. I like to see somebody who's, who was going up for Jesus and started to plateau and started to decline. I like to see them start going back up for Jesus again. The Bible says in verse 11, we therefore was come up again. Hey, that's a good thing. He went down, but he came up again. Hey, by the way, let me say it tonight. You may have fallen down, but you can come up again. Amen? You can come up again. And they ate again. That's a Baptist church. Amen? They talked a long while. Till the break of day. Hey, they had church till the very next morning. That's great. You said that's still going? Yeah. I know in the Philippines that goes on. I know a couple churches in Taiwan that goes on. I believe that goes on in India. I believe there's some parts of the world people just love to be. They love, hey, Laos, Laos and Cambodia, where we've got some, got some things down there. I believe those believers just love Jesus and they just, they just want to keep on going. The Bible says, verse 12, they brought the young man alive. We're not a little comforted. There's triumph at Troas. You know, the focus at Troas, the very last thing we read here, is not about how large the church was. And the focus at Troas was not about what kind of buildings they had. We're not given that description. The focus at Troas is that the Apostle Paul went there and preached he preached his last message to them that they would ever hear from him. And the last thing they remember is a young man that fell out the window. And the very, thing they, very, thing, the very reason why God brought him there to get the church started, they saw that same love in Paul's heart as he went down and reached out to that boy and comforted them. And he gave, brought the boy back and gave them back. They said, you know what, that's the kind of Christianity we have. Hey, can I tell you tonight, we need to come to Troas this evening. The travels of Troas. The trusting of Troas. You get to Troas tonight where God just wants you to trust Him. You trust Him with all your needs, with all your problems, all your heart. You're contemplating this. Contemplating, would you just trust God? You're trying to push doors open. God, you know God said no. And there Troas, a place for transformation. God transformed His outlook, His outreach, His outcome. And while we're there, we see the triumph that God gives. God's not done with the Troas. And by the way, God's not done with you and I finding a Troas who gets our attention. He works in our hearts and brings us to the realization there's something missing that we need from God. When God says no, don't be angry. When God says no, say, God, what do you want me to do? Maybe tonight you'll have to find your Troas and see where's that Troas. You're going to have that marker location for God to do transformation of your heart.